Tanse Bojo, this is At the Edge of Canada with TJ Phillips, bringing you weekly check-ins with all the major players in the indigenous intellectual community in southern Manitoba and throughout the country. On this week's show, artist, virtuoso, Skeena Reese, the Simshan Cree installation artist, has an exhibit running at the Plugin Institute Contemporary Art in downtown Winnipeg called Sweetgrass and Honey. It's a rich, vibrant, multimodal exhibit of video, photography, mural art, and silkscreen printing that charts the superfluous to the immediate, the playful to the serious, the cozy to the uncozy. It really is one of the most impressive exhibits for such a small show, and it packs a wall up at the Plugin Institute of Contemporary Art. Skeena and I talk about all kinds of things, from her style of commissioning work by other artists. There's work by Gord Hill, Colin Elder, an amazing wall mural by Bracken Corlett. And we dig into the notions of how this art makes us feel, how it makes her feel, especially around Gord Hill's photoshopped images of historical resistance, indigenous resistance. Skeena is very smart, very clever, very tricky, and it was a real pleasure to talk to her. This show is dedicated to the memory and to the spirit of James Luna, one of the greats who we lost earlier this week. Travel well, James, and we appreciate your work so much. This is Skeena Reese on At the Edge of Canada. I've always thought of your work and, and I've, I've known of your work for a few years now. Um, but I've always thought of you as extremely playful, but also extremely serious at times. Uh, do you still think you have that playfulness in your art right now? Oh God, I'm a complete joker. I, I think I'm based out of humor. Like my work all bases in humor, but I mean, of course with humor, it's serious, right? Mm-hmm. Cause you're implying a truth. You're expecting people to either get on board or identify what it is that's not true about it. So there is definitely a a kind of um, challenge. And it's about challenging truth, you think? Well, challenges my sense of what I think is true or, you know, what my beliefs are, what my values are, or complete opposite. Hmm. So, I mean... Some of them are, are mine alone, and, and some are shared with my with the values of my family and my culture and my people. Mm-hmm. And then some are just some are just there to uh, tease you. Mm-hmm. And in that teasing, I hope people can identify what it is that they can learn from that. You know, oftentimes people are teased in our communities. If you're not being teased, there's something wrong with you. 
<laughs> I like that. Um, your your work has always made me be, behave very self-reflexively when I when I engage with it. Uh, thinking about how I relate to the work, but not just the work that you're producing, but also the way in which you produce it, your methods. And yeah. especially uh, in Sweetgrass and Honey, there's a few of your pieces that uh, I remember, uh, specifically um, the Gord Hill's work, uh, Untitled. And we'll, got, we'll talk about that in a bit, but let's start from the beginning. Uh, Sweetgrass and Honey on the, uh, on the postcard and on the pullout uh, is billed as a survey of sorts. Is that like... Uh, a greatest hit album kind of thing for uh, for an artist? Oh, I'm not old enough to have a greatest hit <laughs> album. I think I, um, as uh, Michael Dean famously said to my ear alone, I can't wait to see your work in 20 years. And that creeped me out. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> how creepy. Uh, you think you're going to be alive in 20 years. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no. I think it was because they included video that I did during the time I was going to Emily Carr in early 2000, and then a piece that I did uh, for the Museum of Anthropology in 2008 or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there were a few references to past works, but for sure there were a lot of new ones there. Mm -hmm. were, you, were you surprised or were you appreciative of the way in which it kind of came together, how it started to have its own cohesiveness, all these different pieces from your entire catalog? Well, it's kind of interesting to see how shows come together, especially when they're group shows. This is this was a this was a solo show which kind of floored me. I'm pretty sure I was crying when I got the <laughs> invitation. Um, what a huge responsibility and honor and privilege. And uh, you know, I just felt like the weight of it was, you know, speak for yourself, but speak for your people. Mm. You know, don't waste your opportunity on um, any kind of self-serving uh, sort of agenda and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, be as generous as you can be. So mm -hmm. I think I tried to pull the pull, pull, pull together a, an all-inclusive kind of a show that people could identify with or mm -hmm. see themselves in or... Or feel inspired. I mean, I was in Winnipeg, and that's a, that's a pretty native place, mm. and it's also has a huge population of native people who are having a lot of trouble mm. with colonization mm -hmm. and um, within and without. And I just I found that I had an opportunity to be gentle, mm. to share a part of us that is loving, and to kind of hold them and protect them even. Mm. I know it's kind of hard to to imply that with any kind of work, but a lot of my work and uh, other Native works tend to be inclusive and tend to feel a responsibility towards our people. Mm. So I kind of just wanted to, to love people mm. and also be inclusive of other. And um, that was why I last minute sort of put together the living room i wanted the <laughs> you know people to sit down in my space because mm. it is my space my name's on the wall right mm -hmm. and my work is on the wall and i think oftentimes other feels uh not a part of it or that they need to be invited 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was an invitation to sit down and consider it, you know, for some length of time and not just kind of walk through it and um, objectify it. Mm-hmm. When I had went into the Plugin Institute of Contemporary Art to look at your gallery, uh, look at your exhibit, excuse me, uh, a few weeks ago, um, I believe I said to Jen and I said to Dana at the time, I was like, this looks like every single rumpus room my auntie ever had. Um, yeah. <laughs> right down to like the box TV and uh, the end table, uh, you could have put a, a crib board and, a, and, and some smokes and an ashtray on the side of it and it would have felt just like home. Um, but it wasn't until I sat in that chair did I feel the, I guess to use a academic word, the imbrication, the textures, everything sort of come alive and bear down on me for such a small space. It really packed a lot of wallop uh, once I sat in that chair. Is that is that a focal point of the gallery? Then is that is that living room scene? Um, I wanted people to kind of have a bird's eye view, mm. and I, I also wanted the chair to be turned away from the uh, mural behind them because it was it was an idea that I wanted them to consider in the scope of how large it was but at the same time I didn't want to make them feel um, the weight of the politics behind mm-hmm. it I wanted them to still feel comfortable so I, I turned it away from the mural so that they could maybe look at the playful nature of the drawings the sticker drawings and also the warmth I think of of my skin. Mm. Yeah. That's cool. I like that a lot. Uh, we'll talk about Bracken Corlett's wall mural in a second because that's a that was a central piece for me in, in the exhibit. Um, but let's talk about commissioning art because so many of the pieces in this exhibit are commissioned. And, and I'm, uh, I'm a rookie. I'm a neophyte when it comes to talking uh, art creation and visual artistry. Um, how does commissioning work as a form of expression in visual and installation art? Is is this a, is this a type of uh, is this a, a certain type of practice a certain type of method? Well, it's a certain type of method to somebody who doesn't have a lot of time. <laughs> I have two small kids in in my life, and yeah. I love taking care of them. But I also like making broad sweeping comments <laughs> in the world when anybody wants to listen. So um, I kind of figure it's just like any production you put together. Mm. You want to put the best possible group together with the best possible skills, you know, whether it be uh, stage performance, mm. you know, you don't hire somebody who's just started making costumes, Right. you know, you hire the best. And so I kind of just wanted to highlight the works of those artists, give them some free expression, because that's what I love about their work. Mm. So I think as part of it is being inclusive, but also at the same time, it's just like, I want the best. Mm. You know, and also Gord Hill is, you know, um, he is one of our great minds. He's a club mm-hmm. youth writer, uh, activist for for over 30 years. His voice was instrumental in some of his illustrations, uh, comic of, of the history of, you know, of contact mm. of Native people. Mm-hmm. So he does so many things that have absolutely filled me with a sense of um, belonging and a sense of righteousness in a healthy way. And I just wanted to to kind of uh, put him on my skin as an ode because um, there aren't many people who, who do this kind of work that he does. 
and I wanted people to to look into it because mm. there's so much that can be learned there. Mm. Um, and also his style, his style of comic design, illustration is um, is so identifiable mm. that I wanted people to say, you know, she's obviously trying to nod to him and his work, you know, why? And so I think it's the fact that I wanted to write my, what I would consider my history on my skin Mm. as opposed to the romanticism of the, you know, the the native woman Mm -hmm. who, you know, is forever painted in these disgusting architecture, you know, acrylic kind of like tropes and, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, just, uh, yeah, it was, it was an opposition. So the painting, which you'll probably ask me about is, um, basically, uh, it's the dichotomy of, of the, the photos. Hmm. And, and Gord Hill's work, for those who haven't been to the gallery, um, is tattooed on Skinner's body. And then there's photographs. Not. Hmm? It's not. It wasn't tattooed it's, on you? No, those were drawings. Oh, those were drawings. Those were drawings that were added with Photoshop. Oh. They look real. They do? I thought they were real for sure. Everybody does. <laughs> like, <laughs> They always take another look. I love that. I'm like, once you find out it's not real, you take another look, and it's so incredible. Uh, wow. And because, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought for a second there that you had uh, the Oka Crisis tattooed on your chest for life, and I was like, wow. I'm not that brave. <laughs> <laughs> it's still really brave. I mean, I, I guess to go back to the point, I mean, the photographs are of, of these uh, drawings on you. And and you do something that a few artists, contemporary Indigenous artists especially, do so well. And I and I think of Dana Claxton's work when when I think of this. But you have a way to um, capture some really empowered and um, beautiful depictions of Indigenous femininity, and then at the same time show historical and empowered and strength-based visions of indigenous masculinity and that combination at the same time i think is incredible to create this sort of energy in your work and and that's that piece with gourd is is one of those for me um and i just i was overwhelmed with the sense that you would put this on your body as tattoos i'm still impressed i just uh, <laughs> I, I i think i love that energy uh, did you feel that as well too is did you feel that sort of symmetry of of, of sexuality and and, and gender um, I basically, I, um, I wanted to say also that, you know, violence isn't inherently coming from male mm. people, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like women have children. So what is their implication into violence? And I wanted to implicate myself as a mom. So there mm. was a mother and child in there. You know, I had issues with, uh, post-traumatic stress, I would say, and, during my early times with my kids, I found that a lot of things were coming out of me that I did never, I could never expect would come out of me during, you know, uh, in the presence of sacred children, mm-hmm. like rage. And I just thought, well, isn't this interesting? I kind of feel like I have to, you know, examine what it is about, what is our role uh, in raising children into into a society that's essentially violent, mm. you know. So I did a lot of self reflection. It was very, very difficult, and um, 
continues to be. And it's a long journey. It's certainly not over. Mm. And so I think, uh, you know, whatever you want to read into it, I mean, is up purely up to you. But what I, the narrative that I was, you know, trying to, uh, to show people is basically that throughout the ages, you know, violence has been prevalent and, mm-hmm. you know, when is it going to stop? It's, it's kind of an open-ended kind of idea. There was no, hmm. you know, I didn't want to hold people's hand along the garden path of what my thoughts were on it. I just wanted to put a few elements in there for them to consider. So hmm. I'm glad that you find it so rich. It is is very rich, and now that I think about you and the way the, what you just said, I think about how there's space running out on the body to put images of maybe a restored future or an unvi- a nonviolent future, and hope that there will be space on the body for those images in an imagined future. So I, I love that idea. If the tone of of Gord's work is is serious and and, and self reflective, then the work with Colin Elder and <laughs> This like mischievous and smart sort of reappropriation of uh, romanticized indigenous images, and you looking all stoic and and uh, and uh, reserved. I thought was it's just so funny to have them in stark contrast to one another. Um, that piece, the one with Calden Elder, you 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 made it into a T-shirt, yeah? No, it's 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 a poster that you can oh, buy. Oh, poster, yeah. Like <laughs> I a thought it's a twenty dollar poster or something. I would love that as a t-shirt too. I think it would be an amazing yeah, t-shirt. Yeah, people want that as a t-shirt. <laughs> I'd love to make more money, but um, basically I can't think of every great idea. <laughs> well, basically yeah. I was just, I know that's an absurd thing to say, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Start again. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, um, I, I would love to commodify my work, but I, <laughs> I tend to find that it's the complete opposite of sort of... Uh, um, what's out there? Hmm. I think there's a lot of work out there that's made for sale, hmm. which is fine. Native people should uh, be able to, you know, make work and live off of it. But uh, coming from a, a a child of a carver who who kind of watched him walk in and out of galleries with his hat in his hand, you know, to sell masks, hmm. it's pretty difficult to uh, to fathom that something so culturally important like a mask hmm. a ceremonial mask could be bought and sold for uh not a very lot of money and um i think that one of my earliest performances at the grunt gallery for a, a show that redwire put on ten willard curated i think with peter morin um yeah it was just like i broke a mask that my dad had made you know, and I showed some images of it in the world with me wearing it. And after I, I broke it, I, I showed the images again. So I wanted the people to consider, you know, the story behind mask making and um, and what it meant to our people hmm. as Simshans and Gixans. And then I wanted them to consider how much it might cost in the, in the, in the modern world. And then I wanted to, to take it away from them. To, to kind of have this moment of what it might feel like to have something so important taken away from you, mm. for them to feel that, mm. and then for them to look at photographs of 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 it, you know, still alive, essentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of just 
carried that over with all my work. Um, the spirit of our work is something that's, that you can't sell, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think the sticker project was with that in mind. I just kind of wanted something temporary, something meaningless, something, you know, uh, that you can find in the day-to-day. Mm. To show how much our, the importance of our works, our artifacts, uh, need to be repatriated, need to be considered as living beings that should be back where they belong. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's so an answer. Yeah, I like that answer. I also love the story, and, and thanks for sharing that that story about your dad. Um, if if the sticker work that you did is ethereal and superfluous in a kind of way, then Bracken Corlett's wall mural is the exact opposite, in my opinion. It took my breath away, and it drew my attention in the gallery in a very arresting way. How does that piece feel to you? I know how it feel to feel, felt to me, but I don't think people care too much about how I feel about it. How did that piece feel to you, and, and what place does it occupy in your sort of heart, in your artistic heart, and your in your emotional heart? Oh, God. Um, I, I mean, it's doing what I wanted it to do, hmm. which is to take over your space, hmm. and to take over, uh, to take over the space that of, of your, like, visuals, and also of your own heart. Mm. I wanted you to, you know, read more into it and to consider what it means. I think one of the things that you had said was that it felt like a warning, which it kind of is. I kind of have these veiled threats. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, I mean, Native people are essentially nonviolent, especially when we've been under so much stress these days. (laughs) Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh, what I'm trying to say is is that it's doing what I wanted it to do, mm-hmm. which is to make you consider this huge idea, which is I think Native people kind of ha- are living in these crazy two worlds, and uh, it's, it's kind of hard to explain to people sort mm-hmm. of what our reality is. A lot of people want to say, hey, you should get over it. It's been a long time oh, you know, you guys are uh, doing really well now. You guys have tax-free stuff, and you have your own land base. And, uh, you know, all of those wonderful conversations that are had, you know, about us. And, um, you know, I don't know how people can expect us to function when stories like the Colton case and mm-hmm. Tina Fontaine, Fontaine case are, are happening around us and, in, in our communities and in, in their lives and in the lives of their families, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how that is basically telling us that we absolutely are, are still at war. We are not winning. Um, we're never going to be equal because there's this captive and captive relationship that still exists. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there is no freedom. There's no reconciliation until this is acknowledged. Mm-hmm kind of like living with an abusive person, hmm. you know. Uh, they can't really say sorry until they change their behavior. Hmm. And I find the behavior is just emboldened. Hmm. And um, it's also emboldened in the minds of the common Canadian, you know, who I have to, con- you know, have be in contact with, with on a daily basis. And I hmm. find it really hard to to be happy and mm-hmm. to continue, you know, paying my taxes and and feed into this lovely community of uh, buying and selling art and, mm. you know, 
and uh, raising my kids with a smile amongst my, you know, my enemies. Mm. And and I'm not saying they're my enemies because I've chosen that because, you know, I can't remember who said if you act like my enemy, then I, then you you know you're my enemy. And I kind of feel like that's what's happening. Mm. So you know, I get a lot of unprompted smiles and I'm sorry's all over the place, um, which I think is a lot of Canadians' thoughts too. They're thinking we're in two worlds as well. That we're in the world where you know maybe they they want to accept the privilege of the pl- of the place that they found themselves. Or they want to deny it. There's nobody to deny it to, and then there's no, you know, protection for them if they ever wanted to consider that. Hmm. Anyways. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I think we can leave the conversation about Bracken's piece right there. I think that's brilliant and uh, an encompassing of what it of how it feels and how your your relationship to it. Yeah. Sweetgrass and honey will wrap up very soon. So what's next for you? Where are we going to be able to see your work again? Well, I have some shows coming up, not too distant future. Okay. Uh, Comox Valley Art Gallery nice. in Courtney, B.C. on April 6th and 7th. And then uh, I think it's on for five weeks. Um, and then after that, I have a few things coming up in, in Canada. So Montreal... In 2018 wow. or 19, and then uh, Victoria in Victoria with Legacy Gallery. It opens in April too. Hmm. I need a manager. I have no <laughs> idea. Um, yeah, we'll put that up. Yeah, yeah. Skeena Reese is looking for a manager um, <laughs> who will work for food. <laughs> I'll provide. <laughs> uh, I'll get you out of here on this one, Skeena. Thanks again for chatting with us. Uh, we lost James Luna this week. Uh, do you have uh, any stories or thoughts about what uh, James's work meant to you, or was he an inspiration at all? Oh, of course. Um, I didn't know him. I think I may have met him once uh, when I didn't know his work. And um, I think in looking back at some of the photos and some of the images of his work, it, basically he's... We are doing. We're similar people, I think, in, in what we intend to do, which mm-hmm. is to uh, bring forward the practices of the museums and the galleries and and non-indigenous people and how they, um, you know, how where they put us mm-hmm. and how they use us for their own, you know, purposes and mm-hmm. and we fight against it in our own very gentle ways and with a lot of humor. So. We lost a pretty great voice, mm-hmm. somebody who was very generous, mm-hmm. very loving, and uh, very effective, and it's going to be a really huge loss for the arts community. Mm-hmm. So my my heart goes out to his family. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Tra- travel well, James. Uh, his mark is left everywhere, and uh, nothing but great things I've heard about him and his work. I never got to meet him, but I know his work and 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 really do appreciate it and love it. So. I appreciate because I I saw I hear I see a lot of resonances between his work and yours and I thought he might be an inspiration so that's lovely to hear that. Uh, yeah, no, just seeing him like I think the first time I ever saw him he was in a box. It must have been a photograph mm. of a piece that he did I think in New York, and uh, he was on display and I think it was a nod to like museum practices. Mm. 
And uh, I thought, oh, my God, how funny that would be. I, I mean, I think for other people, they would think it was very serious and maybe very, um, you know, um, challenging for people to to see that. And I think in some ways they were probably curious in the way that they shouldn't have been. Mm. And um, and I just thought, oh, God, I wish I, wish I could have a little bug in his ear so, so we could <laughs> chat back and forth. Of how funny it is <laughs> to be objectified, <laughs> especially you know when we choose when we choose how you see us. Right, it's so powerful. Yeah, and uh, no, that was probably a great inspiration for a lot of things I've done. That's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Anyways, I'll let you go. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show. Sweet Grass and Honey is still on at the Plugin Institute. Go down and check it out. It's in downtown Winnipeg. And for everything you do in the name of contemporary Indigenous art, uh, resurgence, uh, being the virtuoso artist that you are and a fierce Indigenous woman, thank you so much, and I appreciate your work immensely. Oh, I can't wait for the criticism. <laughs> Not for me. Grow as an artist. (laughs) That's how you grow. (laughs) Critique. Okay. (laughs) At the Edge of Canada is produced at the UMFM Studios on the University of Manitoba campus in Winnipeg, Manitoba. The University of Manitoba is situated on Treaty One territory, the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, the Cree, the OJ Cree, the Dakota, and the Dene peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. You can get all updated podcasts and live streams for At The Edge of Canada at umfm.com or you can listen to us live on the UMFM app. The lead track is Nehewak Starlight. And if you like what you hear from me, you can follow me on Twitter at tfillers. Up next, your campus today.